One of my favorite books is a uh, remarkable uh, work entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death. Great title. It's written by a media critic by the name of Neil Postman, and in the book he writes this. When a population becomes distracted by trivia, when cultural life is refined or becomes redefined as a perpetual round of entertainments, when serious public conversation becomes a form of baby talk, when a people become an audience and their political business a vaudeville act, then a nation finds itself at risk. And cultural death, the death of that culture, is a possibility. I was chilled when I first read those words. I was chilled by them because as I looked around me uh, at the society, I was struck by the fact that those words were describing the world in which I lived in. And I thought to myself, we as the Christian community have got to rise up and get even more involved than we have. We cannot have a private piety. We must become engaged with the development of our culture in a different kind of way today. If we don't act quickly, I was thinking, I mean, this whole thing that has been such an amazing society and set of institutions could go down the drain altogether. But you know something that was even more chilling to me, or that is now today more chilling to me than that quotation I read? Do you know what that is? The quotation I read, I read in 1985. How much more does that quotation that I read to you describe what's happening in our world today? How much further along have we moved? How much has the, 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 the pot heated up degree by degree by degree to the point where we are in serious danger as a culture in our time. Uh, I came across a quotation by the English journalist and novelist Evelyn Waugh who once remarked that the West is dying of sloth, not wrath. For the most part, Evelyn writes, institutions are lost not because they are stormed by hostile outsiders, but because their custodians, overcome by apathy, diffidence, and intellectual fecklessness, simply give them away. By inaction, they give them away. It is easy, without meaning to, to become mainly a bystander at life. And that's my big idea, the first one I want to offer to you today, it is really easy to become unconsciously, unintentionally, merely a bystander. I face this uh, condition in myself. I see so much sizzling and swirling around me at times that I'm pushed back on my heels and that I spend a lot of my time just gawking at what's happening around me. I'm just, I'm just a spectator at life. I just stand and watch what's unfolding. Or I see so much that is wrong about that person or that group or that policy that it is, I just simply become a critic. I sit in my armchair and I just critique it. Can't believe they said that. I can't believe they're doing that. I, I just critique it. And even if I do see a need, sometimes it feels like there are other people better equipped to meet that need or we think, it, think it's somebody else's job to address that particular need. 
I think about that even sometimes at church. I hear, hear variations on this. Oh, they, people, people walk in and say, oh, it's wonderful. There are all these programs, there's, there's donuts, there's, it's just all provided. How nice it's just provided. As if I don't have a personal role in that somehow. This isn't a good way to live. I know this. It doesn't bring forth the best in me or in anybody else. It doesn't unleash the amazing creative capacities that are present in a community like this that could solve a lot of problems in our church, in our circles, in our wider society, which is, I think, why Jesus calls us to make one more purposeful shift. Another shift. If you're really one of my disciples, then shift... From bystanding to change-making, Jesus says. Get out of the spectator seats. Get onto the playing field. Get involved on my behalf. And to make that idea very clear, uh, Jesus uses a very vivid set of metaphors, and I want to read them to you. Jesus says to his disciples, and that's what you and I are, I hope, followers of Jesus. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I invite you to sit with me and consider these images Jesus gives us for our role in the world. These images of salt and of light. The kind of salt that a, a first century Hebrew woman would have been accustomed to using in her kitchen, the kind of lamp that a first century Hebrew man would have been accustomed to lighting as the shadows lengthened at the end of the day. I want to invite you to think about how these things tell us about our role in the world. For one thing, you can certainly say this about salt and light. They are distinct from their surroundings fundamental nature of these things is their difference from the things around them. If you went to a farmer's market today, and there will be one open, I think, tomorrow in uh, the town nearby here, the same sort of market that Jesus' family shopped at, you would find all kinds of food that you could purchase there, and you would notice that most of it was fairly bland. None of it actually would have been salty. Um, similarly, if you were able to travel across the vast reaches of space, you would soon discover that most of it out there is darkness. Very little of it is light. Salt exists in marked contrast, by definition, to the taste of most food. And light exists in marked contrast to the darkness of most of the universe. And if you're following me, says Jesus, is what he's telling us here, then you will also be distinct. You also will be different from, from the common, uh, from the ordinary and normative around you. 
One of my favorite authors is a gentleman by the name of Eugene Peterson. He's perhaps most famous for having written a, a paraphrase of the Bible known as The Message. And in his book, Run With the Horses, Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, the puzzle is why so many people today live so badly. Not so wickedly, he says, but so inanely, so blandly, so uh, darkly, he's saying. The puzzle is why they live not so cruelly, most people aren't cruel, but so stupidly. We have celebrities galore these days, but not saints. We have famous entertainers who amuse a nation of bored insomniacs. Infamous criminals act out the aggressions of timid conformists. Just look at the popularity of shows about serial killers and how enthralled we are with their lives somehow. Petulant and spoiled athletes play games vicariously for lazy and apathetic spectators. Uh, they're out on the field lean and trim and exhausted, and we're in the, in the stands widening and inactive. Aimless and bored people amuse themselves, he says, with trivia and trash. And think of how many series I've binge-watched lately and how much of it really hasn't been all that edifying uh, in the main. Now, I recognize that this characterization of society is maybe a little bit overdone, but my point is, is that if we're citizens of the city of God, then our character and our conduct, one would expect, will be different from those surroundings. Uh, that it will not be hard to spot a Christian a follower of Jesus, because they'll be distinct from what is considered normative. To come across a group of my followers, says Jesus, and he goes on with this idea, ought to be a, li be a little bit like an experience that many people in the ancient world had. You see, if you've ever traveled, maybe you did so this summer, to the desert or up to the lake country or away from a city, you notice that, that without the light of a, a major city around you, it's pretty dark out there. And for most people traveling around in first century Israel, they would have to travel under those conditions. They'd be going through some dark and dangerous bad land. They'd be hungry and they'd be thirsty and they'd be tired. And they'd come around the bend in a road and all of a sudden, wow, they would spot it up on a mesa over there, a city on a hill, a, a, a town with torches blazing. A, a place of, of warmth and safety and sustenance different from the surrounding territory. And the very sight of such a town would make their hearts leap and would renew their hopes and, and pick up their pace. And they'd make themselves towards that town. You are that town, says Jesus. That's what the circle of my followers is to be like in this world. A place of safety and sustenance and light and hope and warmth for other people. A place of light and hope against a darkening sky. Is that true of us? Is that true of us? Is walking into this community a breathtakingly positive experience for newcomers? 
Because they don't walk in and find us huddled together just talking with our little clique of friends. They find us with our arms stretched out, eager to hear their story, letting them know they are welcome, known, and loved. Or as you go out today and you walk into the world, and if somebody followed you with a, a video camera, would anything about your life go viral? Would the way that you handled conflict really capture the attention of the person with the camera? When somebody hurt you or dissed you, would your response to them, so full of grace and peace and maturity, amaze them that they they went and shared it, they posted it, so their friends would see this amazingly unusual thing? Would your life be so inspiring because of the way you shared your resources with people that you met along the way who were in need or because it was so unusual this way that you dealt with this seductive temptation that came your way and handled it like a lot of people don't? Would they be amazed by the fact that when you were given opportunity to take the credit, you gave the thanksgiving to others and the glory to God Would anything, even one slice, even one video clip from your daily life be so distinctive and beautiful and compelling, other people would say, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. If we read on through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in which this teaching about salt and light is found, we will notice that there's a recurrent phrase that Jesus offers. And the phrase that he, that, he, that he repeats is, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard a certain definition of what righteousness looks like, what goodness looks like, what success, wealth, satisfaction look like, but let me tell you what it really looks like because it's different and it requires a shift to find it resolve jesus is saying in effect that you're going to be as distinct from the ordinary as salt is from bland and light is from darkness just make that decision lord help me live differently and as you make that shift and it takes a while for it's a lifetime journey i think for all of us certainly for me As you make that shift, remember that salt and light can be easily compromised. And in fact, in this this description in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us two ways that salt and light get compromised in terms of their intended effect. For one thing, you can lose your saltiness, Jesus is saying. You can easily lose your saltiness. Now, I want you to think about this. Have you, ever, have you ever had a salt shaker? Raise your hand if you've got a salt shaker in your house. Okay, that's, I'm going to guess that's most of us. And have you ever had a salt shaker that you left in the cabinet or out on the table for so long that when you poured it out onto your food, you discovered, ah, it's lost its saltiness. It's totally bland now. Has that ever happened to you? No, it's never happened to you. Not ever happened to a single one of us because modern-day salt it, it, it is, is sodium chloride. It's an in, my chemistry-bound son tells me it's an incredibly stable compound. It doesn't lose its saltiness ever. Not true of the salt in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, salt was, was, 
was um, found through the drying up of, of salt marshes. And salt marshes uh, would give you a salt that was actually not a very pure compound. It had the sodium chloride in it, but it also had gypsum and natron and sodium chlorate in it. These were impurities. And so over time, even though you had stuff that all looked the same, those, um, the, the sodium chloride would leach out over time, leaving only the impurities behind. And you would not be able to tell until you tasted it. It would look the same. And then you'd know it was different when you tasted it. And basically, what happened then was that you had to decide what to do with this stuff that was no longer useful for its original purpose. And what the uh, people of the first century did with that was being uh, economical, good stewards of these things, is they discovered that actually natron, natron and gypsum and sodium chlorate, um, when combined, made a fairly good water sealant. Who knew? And they would take this stuff that wasn't good for food anymore and they would scatter it on the roof and they would grind it into the cracks in the roof so as to seal the cracks and keep the inside of the house dry. Now do you understand what Jesus says? When the salt is no longer good, you have to throw it out. It's no longer good, but to throw it out and to trample it underfoot. Here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. Most of us are not a pure compound either. There are these impurities in us. Ask my wife, she could tell you about a lot of mine, right? There are these impurities in us. And over time, the, 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 the sodium chloride of the soul, the distinctiveness, the best elements of us can get leached away by the pressures of life, leaving behind mainly those impurities. And those impurities actually serve as a sealant against the faith of other people. They see our hypocrisy, they see our inconsistency, they see our worldliness, they see how much we compromise our convictions, how um, separate we often are between what we profess as followers of Jesus and the way we are living our lives. And it hardens the roofs, in a sense, the intellectual roofs of other people when they're considering the faith. This is why, I think, it is so crucial that we keep engaging in those practices that help us recover our saltiness. It's why coming to worship together, it's why studying God's word, it's why being part of a, of a small group of other believers and, and, and supporting and praying for each other, it's why other spiritual disciplines are so important because they help us restore our saltiness, our distinctiveness. And the question I want to ask you today is what are you doing between weekends to let God renew your distinctive character. What are the practices? Have you got a group? Have you got a devotional pattern? Um, are you in God's word? Because if there ever was a time when the saltiness of Christians are, is, can be leached away, it's this time. And we have to redouble our efforts, I think, to preserve that distinctive character. So if salt and light are really to do the good for which they're created, it will not simply be because they are different from what surrounds them. It will also be because they penetrate their environment. 
So when Jesus was a kid, he would have seen his mom, Mary, as she worked salt into meat. He might have seen her soaking meat in water and salt to preserve it against decay. Jesus intends for his followers to have that effect. He sees us as ones that season and preserve against decay as long as we are worked into the environment outside. It's easy to forget that. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm, I'm different because I go to church. Though that does make you different. You're one of about 17% of Americans if you go to church regularly. Um, but we can easily slip into thinking that what God really mainly wants is for us to come and to exercise our difference here on the weekends. Um, here we will be forgiving. Here we will look to God. Here we will praise God for what he has done. Here we will uh, speak of God's truth and grace. Here we will be like Jesus. But we have not been created for in here any more than salt is created for the salt shaker or then light is made to be left beneath a building-sized bowl. Don't get me wrong. It's okay that we come to the Christian Bowl. It's okay to come to this place. Uh, don't stop coming to this place. It's good to have a place where the, the flame of faith uh, is sheltered from the winds of this world uh, for a little while so it can build up its heat and its light. It's okay for uh, you to come to a place where you've got um, the capacity to heat up your convictions. But Jesus says the primary function of the flame isn't to warm the bowl. The primary function of the flame, that's you, is to penetrate every corner of the world with the light of God. That's his intention. To give light to everyone. Sometimes I hear people evaluating their Christian experience in terms of what the pastor did on Sunday. Do you know that we ought to be evaluating our Christian experience in terms of what we as Jesus followers did on Monday? John Stott, the great British evangelical scholar, once posed uh, this question. He said, will Christian men and women be so able to influence their society so that the values and standards of Jesus permeate American culture. Its legislation and institutions, its administration of justice, its conduct of business, will the values and the vision of Jesus alive in Christians be able to so permeate American culture that it affects the education of its children and young people, its care of the sick and the elderly, its attitude towards dissidents and criminals, and the way of life of its citizens. Will we have that impact? And I love the, the original language of Jesus' teaching here because there's something about the syntax in the Greek that, that we miss in the English. We read it in English and we hear that the emphasis is on salt and light. It isn't. The emphasis of the statement is on the word you. You are the salt and the light, Jesus is saying. It's not going to be the pastor that wakes up your spiritually sleeping friend in your neighborhood. It's not going to be the, the pastor that 
presents an influence for the kingdom in your workplace. It won't be the pastor or anybody else sitting next to you here that, that impacts that environment you're entering into and makes it more like the kingdom of God. It will be you. It will be you. Which brings us to the final meaning, I think, of this brilliant metaphor that Christ gives us to explain our role. He calls us to first and foremost to be attractive witnesses, to be distinctive uh, in the way that we live. Uh, he has left us in this world uh, not that we might live this private, pious life, but that we might be light that goes out from this place to penetrate the environments of this world for the sake of his kingdom. And finally, the job of salt and light is to bring about change. It's to bring about change. There's a funny thing about salt. It just takes a little pinch of it to bring about change. Not very much of it is required. What was once bland now becomes quite delightful. What was once subject to rot and decay now is preserved. And the same is true of light. Just a tiny little match, even in the midst of a really big dark room, changes the environment, makes new things possible. In an interview with Psychology Today, renowned uh, sociologist Robert Bella of the University of California, Berkeley, says this. We should not underestimate the significance of a small group of people who have a new vision of a just and gentle world. In fact, the quality of a culture may be changed when just 2% of its people have a new vision. His research says just 2% of a group can change the environment in significant ways. Have that vision, says Jesus. Have that vision. If you ever doubt the potential of just a few of us living differently in the world, remember the words of historian Kenneth La Tourette when he wrote this. No life ever lived on this planet has been so influential in the affairs of humanity as that of Jesus Christ. Through it, millions of People have had their inner conflicts resolved. Through his life, hundreds of millions have been lifted from illiteracy and from ignorance and have been placed upon the road of growing intellectual freedom. Through his influence, the physical environment has been uh, developed and, and, and controlled in remarkably new ways. The life of Jesus has done more to allay the physical ills of disease and famine than any other impulse in history, and it has emancipated millions of people from chattel slavery and millions of others from thraldom to vice. The life of Jesus has protected tens of millions from exploitation by their fellows and has been the most fruitful source of movements to lessen the horrors of war and to put the relations of men and nations on the basis of justice and peace. That's what one solitary life can do. That's what one little bit of yeast, one kernel, one seed, one ray of light, one, uh, uh, one kernel of salt can do. If, that is what one life utterly devoted to God can do. 
What could a whole church of those lives do? What could we do if we decided to move from dabbling to discipleship, from securing self to seeking the good of others, from demanding justice to extending mercy, and from bystanding to change-making. This is Christ's plan. He doesn't have a better one. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the mustard seed. You are the yeast. I'm putting you out there. So speak up clearly and serve practically and give generously and reach out daringly and don't wait for the solution. Be the solution. Jesus says to us, shift. Let's pray together. And now, Lord God, we praise you and thank you that you love us enough to shake us by the lapels. And we know that you do this to call us into the life that is truly life. So help us, Lord God, having heard your word, to respond from the depths of our beings to your calling. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.